1: Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Thursday night edition of the program. Our telephone number, if you want to join our late night national town hall conversation, feel free to do it, 833-4825-337, valdez And uh, the big story today is Hunter Biden, he's facing nine criminal charges in a brand new indictment on federal tax crimes. Yep, I don't know where this goes. You know, it's like Hunter Biden's that guy that gets uh, indicted, he's kinda like Trump, right? <laughs> gets indicted, but they never get him on anything. And uh, I think for Trump, it's cause it's a witch hunt. They're looking for something that isn't there. And with Hunter Biden, they're, uh, they're trying to make it look like they're holding him accountable. But uh, we all know, something will happen somewhere where nothing happens. Anyway, Hunter Biden pled not guilty back in October on federal gun charges in U.S. uh, District Court uh, for Delaware. And now uh, there's some new stuff. Uh, In California, of all places, uh, there was uh, nine new charges of tax crimes, according to documents that were made public earlier today. On Truth Social, I saw a post by my buddy Rich Cementa announcing this, and it had a lot of traction on it. The indictment uh, for Hunter Biden says that he failed to pay nearly $200,000 in income tax For 2019, Uh, Special Counsel David Weiss has been using a federal grand jury in Los Angeles to gather evidence of possible criminal tax charges against Hunter Biden. A copy of the actual indictment is in the uh, Fox News article that I'm uh, perusing right now. Hunter Biden pled not guilty in October to those gun charges. And now after um, this years long investigation, New charges. So um, we'll see how this goes. Apparently, the um, development came after an expected vote from House Republican leaders next week on a measure that would formally initiate an impeachment inquiry into President Biden over the ties to his son's business dealings. So is there a connection? Let's see. Earlier this week, the House Oversight Committee Chairman uh, James Comer, he released a subpoenaed bank record showing an entry from Hunter Biden. That made a a direct monthly payment to Joe Biden. Comer attributed the indictment uh, that came out earlier today to two brave IRS whistleblowers, Gary Shapley and Joseph Ziegler, saying this. The Department of Justice got caught in its attempt to give Hunter Biden an unprecedented sweetheart plea deal, Comer said. Every American should applaud these men for their courage to expose the truth. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I remember when those uh, guys were blowing the whistle. Very important stuff indeed. Now, uh, he went on to say that uh, unless U.S. Attorney Weiss investigates everyone involved in the Biden's fraud schemes and influence peddling, it will be, a clear, it, it'll be clear that uh, Biden's DOJ is actually protecting Hunter Biden and the big guy. Now, the White House has reportedly said that President Biden did nothing wrong and had no knowledge of his son's uh, business dealings. House Republicans, meanwhile, they, um, they're warning that the younger Biden, Hunter, would move to, um, they're, they're going to move to hold him in contempt of Congress if he doesn't appear for a closed-door deposition on December 13th. I think Hunter said he's not interested in going. That's a few days away, so we'll see how that goes. Anyway, Hunter Biden's in- insisted that he would only testify in the house if it's a public hearing because information from closed door testimonies is selectively leaked and used to manipulate, uh, even history and the facts and to misinform the American public. That's Hunter Biden. So we shall see how that plays out. Uh, but, um, uh, seems like good old Hunter Biden has gotten himself into a little something something. And, uh, I can't wait to see how this unfolds. Uh, nine new uh, charges. I think that's pretty exciting stuff, honestly. Uh, f- for me, personally. You know, because this is one of those things, I didn't think this was going to happen. Um, and again, I don't know if it's happening, right? He could be indicted a million times. Doesn't mean he's going to get found guilty on anything, and I n- don't believe for a second that he's ever going to go to jail. Not No jail time at all. And I'm not really rooting for Hunter to go to jail. What I'd really love to see is for Hunt- Hunter to appear before Congress uh, under oath and Maybe just spill the beans and say, you know what, I've had enough. The big guy was pressuring me, He did this. He's he's at fault. He's been taking money since day one and, you know, and really rat out Joe Biden while he's under oath and then use that to crucify, uh, figuratively speaking, of course, to crucify Biden's criminality in the court of public opinion and uh, and try to really shed light on how how corrupt things are in Washington. So that would be what I would like to see. I don't know if that actually ends up happening. Uh, meanwhile, you've got Trump, uh, Trump going through s- similar in court. Uh, the difference is Trump isn't getting sweetheart deals and being protected by the DOJ. He's being prosecuted by the DOJ, by local um, district attorneys and attorneys general in New York. And he can't, he can't catch a break, right? It's just amazing how Trump can't catch a break. But uh, he was in the courtroom today and he stepped outside to make a couple of comments uh, reminding everybody about the weaponization that's coming from the Biden White House. And uh, Trump's contention is that he's running for president. And because he's running for president, Joe Biden is using all of his law enforcement resources, i.e. the Department of Justice, the FBI, to take Trump out so that he's tied up having to fight court cases instead of running for office. Listen to this.
2: The whole case is a fraud. What they've done is they've weaponized justice. And this is coming from the White House. Because uh, I'm beating Biden by a lot. And this is coming right out of the White House. you know it. I know.
1: listen, it'll really be something. If uh, Trump wins in Iowa, despite, you know, being um, distracted from being there campaigning on the ground, uh, despite not getting the governor's endorsement, uh, it seems like uh, there's a bunch of Republican candidates that are gaining a lot of traction in Iowa. Everybody's, you know, trying to win. And Trump is in court, right? Uh, uh, Figuratively and not literally, but figuratively being handcuffed by the legal system. Um, and then not because of any excessive criminality or anything like that, just simply because he's doing well. And they figured, Hey, let's tarnish this guy with some bogus charges, which I think everybody's going to see nothing's going to happen. And it's not because he's going to, uh, receive any leniency. Every, I think everybody knows that if you're uh, an honest observer of politics and media, you can definitely reassure yourself that Trump's not getting a fair deal, right? Nobody's doing him a favor. No. In most people's minds, nobody likes him. He's, he's the devil incarnate. He's horrible. He's orange man bad. Why would anybody help him? And that part is true. He's not bad. I don't think he's the devil incarnate, but I do think nobody in the media is going to help him. If it's not one of the uh, networks that lean conservative, nobody's really going to go out of their way to help El Trompito, Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States. So what ends up happening? It's the people. The people see right through this stuff. And they say, you know, hold on. I don't like him myself, but why are you coming at him so hard? And they start to do two and two, and they say, you know what? Two plus two makes four. I do this mental math. I figure it out real quick. This doesn't look good. This isn't that way. And that's it. And, and this is why people all over the place, including in, in um, areas like the Bronx, New York, uh, you've got people. Uh, I mentioned I did a show last weekend where they had a man on the street interview They were interviewing people just one after the other, and there were no outtakes on this. It wasn't like they selectively edited it so that you could only hear the people that were pro-Trump. Everybody that they asked had something good to say about Trump and something very negative to say about Biden. We'll hear that on the other side of the break. Folks, if you want to join the conversation, feel free, 833 482 833-4-Valdez.
0: This is America at Night
3: Rich
1: Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here with you straight till one a.m. And if you want to join our conversation, it's eight three three four eight two five three three seven. And uh, today is um, somewhat um, celebratory, somewhat somber. Uh, it is the first night of the Festival of Lights. Happy Hanukkah to all of our Jewish brethren and listeners. Um, Lachaim, Mazel Tov. And, of course, today's also the 82nd anniversary of the Pearl Harbor attack. That happened on December 7th, 1941. And I've got a little clip of audio. Listen to this.
4: Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live
1: in infamy. That is President Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, announcing the attack way back when on this wonderful medium called radio, right? And I uh, love radio for that reason. It's a part of history in so many ways. So, uh, of course, a big, uh, a big word of thanks, uh, a debt of gratitude to all of those that, that gave their lives, all of those that served, of course, uh, their families, and everybody in uniform today that continues to serve. Um, I take my hat off to you and salute you, all veterans out there. Thank you for your service, and uh, to everybody that gave the ultimate sacrifice, of course, Godspeed. And while it's Hanukkah, and it's also the uh, 82nd anniversary of the Pearl Harbor attack, there's also um, some news I wanted to share with you. And and there's an article from about three weeks ago in the New York Times, and this article... um, title, and I don't typically uh, quote the New York Times, but I thought this was interesting. As black voters drift to Trump, Biden's allies say they have work to do. New York Times Siena College polling painted a worrisome picture of the president standing with a crucial constituency, black voters. Democrat strategists warned that the erosion could threaten his reelection. And we mentioned it when it happened, uh, but I don't think that it's changed much. Uh, Black voters seem more disconnected now from the Democrat Party than they have been in decades, very frustrated with what many see as an inaction on their political priorities and unhappy with President Biden, a candidate that they helped lift into the White House just three years ago. Now, the uh, the poll from The New York Times and Siena College found that 22 percent of black voters in six of the most important battleground states said they would support former President Trump in next year's election, and 71% of them said they would back Mr. Biden. Now, what's important here is that typically Democrats enjoy 80, 90% of the Democrat vote for minorities, from minorities. Uh, 71% is is a big departure, and 22% is a lot of growth. With Hispanics, Trump is at like something like 29% in one of his polls, and... That has got to be alarming to Democrats. Anyway, like I mentioned to you a couple of times, and I wanted to play this audio last night, but we didn't get a chance to. I was on Newsmax uh, over the weekend on a few different shows, actually. It was a very busy week for that. But one of the shows had uh, uh, this man on the street interview. uh, John Tobacco and and Cara Castronova were doing interviews uh, in the Bronx, New York, of just people passing by and asking them what they thought about the economy and what they thought about Joe Biden. I want you to listen. This is so eye opening. Check this out
0: do you think that president biden is doing a good job with the economy no he's not doing nothing to yeah, i don't nobody. Know is he doing a good job yes or no hey, no no I, I can see we're all gonna be the streets homeless biden and his press secretary said that prices are going down is that your experience or is that not true no that is definitely not true prices are definitely going up i used to go across the streets of fordham to go get me a meal i can't even get me a meal because i missed twenty dollars <laughs>
5: Minority communities, we're not seeing the improvement. Um, I, I, there's inflation with everything, food, gas, insurance prices, I mean, you name it.
3: Bidenomics is not working, it's, it's just a complete mess, it's a disaster,
0: especially here in New York City, we're feeling it very hard. If you could say anything to Biden right now who says that the economy is improving, especially in black and brown communities, what would you say to him? That's
4: lies, I believe that's lies, heavy lies on that, for sure.
0: Do you think that somebody else besides Biden should be president?
1: Yeah, of course, time, of who? course. Uh, bring back Trump. Tell me why. Um, we were oh, we were, We had money. We had money when Trump was president.
3: Free
0: my son, Trump. Free my son, Trump. Trump 2024, everybody. Trump 2024. That's crazy. And <laughs> we're here. And we're here in the Bronx. I'm gonna vote for Trump if he runs because I feel like it was much better when he was here financially for everybody, not just me for everybody.
3: I'm definitely voting for Donald Trump. He made sure we had money in our pockets.
0: <laughs> he was for the people. He made sure we had what we needed. I feel like everything will go back to how it was. I mean, ever since he's been out of office, everything's declined. When Trump was president, my life was good. Economical wise, I was doing so much better. They're saying it's going to be Biden Trump, so who are you vote for? Oh, I ain't
2: going to lie. I'm going to have to go for Trump. Sorry. I'm going to
3: go for Trump. Trump. Always Trump. Trump. Here, let me see. Who are you voting for? Trump.
1: Oh, there you go. Now, these are, again, a a bunch of. uh, uh, African American and Hispanic women and men that were interviewed on the street, and no rhyme or reason. I just happened to know because I was part of the um, the analysis on this on TV. And I asked her, I said, "Well, how many people did you interview? Did you pick those out of the group?" And she said, "No, that those were all the interviews." Every single person they interviewed, and, and that wasn't all of them. There was other ones. In one of them, they said, well, what do you think about whatever? And the guy says F Biden. They couldn't put that on TV. Uh, and there's another one while they're asking him, they're like, what do you think? And before he says F Biden, the person that's in the background says something about, oh, Biden's got to go because <laughs> they heard the question was about Bidenomics. So, I mean, uh, again, that's the Bronx, New York, 87 percent Democrat district. And uh, specifically speaking with people that were visibly black and brown. Why do I bring it up? Because if you're not winning in the Bronx and you've got people in the Bronx in a very urban area, a very Democrat area, saying, you know what? Bidenomics isn't working. Joe Biden's got to go. This isn't good for Democrats. So the question becomes, does Biden stick around? Does he remain the guy? Uh, Or does this drift in support for Biden continue giving uh, Trump a a leg up on this? Well, we're going to see how that happens. I have a feeling the Democrats are going to pull some sort of switcheroo But we will uh, continue that conversation later. Uh, Straight ahead, I want to talk about cancel culture and a few more things. So don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back.
0: Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamin's Podcast wherever you listen. This is America. Tonight, this is Rich Valdez.
1: All right, familia, welcome back, amigos. And I want to continue the discussion on what's going on on Capitol Hill tonight. Uh, Of course, you're welcome to join our program. If you want to chime in online, feel free. If you want to give us a call, you know the number, you can do that as well. And yesterday, there were some comments made by Jamal Bowman, who was censured today uh, because of his... um, You know, he committed a crime right during the counting of uh, the votes for the debt ceiling. He pulled a fire alarm and then he said, no, 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 it was because I thought it was the exit to leave. But he's on video and he takes the sign down and then he it's clear he it wasn't a mistake. It was done with malicious intent. He was found guilty, pled guilty. And again, it was not a huge charge or some sort of like misdemeanor, I believe. But the point was this guy's a sitting member of Congress. And of course, he's going to pay the price today by being censured. But the 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 bottom line was that he, he really did do it. Right? It's not something that's speculative like the George Santos stuff, which I'm sure, you know, eventually the, the truth and all that will come out. But uh, George Santos faced an entire uh, expulsion over charges, allegations, not a guilty plea, nothing being uh, admitted to or proven. Anyway, the House Republicans today censured uh, Representative Jamal Bowman, a Democrat from New York after he uh, pulled a uh, fire alarm in the office building back in September, and uh, he's now been reprimanded. And uh, his friends are saying that it's profoundly stupid. It's very extreme. And I want you to hear what he had to say uh, yesterday when he took to the floor uh, regarding uh, why Republicans are so focused on punishing Democrats. Listen to this.
4: It's painfully obvious. to myself, my colleagues, and the American people, that the Republican Party is deeply unserious and unable to legislate. Their censure resolution against me today continues to demonstrate their inability to
1: govern and serve the American people. Again, just for the record, Jamal Bowman turned himself into the police and pled guilty to the charges that he was caught on video doing. So when you plead guilty to something and you turn yourself into the police, it's very, very difficult for anybody to come across, uh, you know, the the aisle one way or the other and say, oh, because this is because the Republicans are doing. No, sir, this has nothing to do with the Republicans. This has everything to do with you tearing a sign down, then pulling a fire alarm and then lying and saying, oh, I thought I was opening a door. Come on, bro. Come on. This, This is not a huge deal. This is a situation where the cover-up is worse than the crime, right? He pulled a fire alarm. I know a lot of guys that did that when I was in high school. It was funny. This isn't what happened here, right? He pulled a fire alarm. It might have been funny had he not lied about it. But he decided to lie about it, and now it's, it's this whole thing of, no, it was, I, thought it was, I thought it was the door. I thought I was opening the door, insulting the intelligence of the Capitol Police, of the leadership in, in Congress, of every last American, every member of the media, just lying to their face saying, look, I think you're stupid. That's what he's saying, right? In effect, he's saying, I think you're stupid. I think I'm better than you. I think I could lie and just go along with whatever lie I put out there, and you're just going to go with it. You're never going to call me out. Because I'm Jamal Bowman, I'm a Democrat, I'm a minority, and you don't mess with me in this media. And that's, that's the God's honest truth. People don't. Nobody goes after uh, minority Democrats. And if they do, it's always with kid gloves, just like with him. He goes, he lies, he gets in trouble, comes back, he lies some more. Blames everything on Republicans. Says he made a mistake when he was trying to get into the Capitol to vote. Listen to this.
4: When I tried to exit a door that that I usually go through, it didn't open and due to confusion and rush to go vote, I pulled the fire alarm. I immediately (laughs) took responsibility and accountability for my actions and pled guilty. Immediately. The legal process on this matter has played out. In no way did I obstruct official proceedings. The vote took place and Democrats were able to ensure we avoided a government shutdown.
1: Now, again, um, just for the record, this famous insurrection that they claim happened on January 6th that was interrupting uh, official procedure that also went on. Right. Biden did get sworn in. No official proceedings were uh, interrupted even or at least uh, stopped in general. Right. They might have emptied out the building. They had a little thing. They gave a police, gave a tour to the guy with the funny hat. You know, we've seen all the videos or at least the videos that have been released. So what's the difference here? How is this any different than anything? I know some people are going to say, come on, Rich, you can't really compare January 6th to Jamal Bowman pulling a fire alarm. No, you're right. I can't. I mean, obviously there was no shooting of Ashley Babbitt. There were not thousands of people or at least hundreds of people climbing, scaffolding, breaking windows and all that stuff. I saw that. Nothing to be proud of. Wasn't me. Wasn't my kids. But um, does that mean that we all of a sudden absolve Mr. Bowman and uh, enter him into the sainthood? Is that what we do? Of course not. We can't sit here and uh, take a lecture from the guy that pulled the fire alarm. As if, you know, I said I was sorry. I pled guilty. That's it. I'm great. No, sir. You're not great. (laughs) You did what you were supposed to do. You did what everybody thought you were going to do. And would you have done it if you weren't caught on tape? That's the question I've got. Well, anyway, his boss, Hakeem Jeffries, the minority leader in the House of Representatives, he stepped up today to give his two cents as well. Listen to this.
4: The House is set to censure one of your members for the third time this year. Is it time to change
5: the rules on privilege resolutions? Uh, Extreme MAGA Republicans
1: continue to... Hold on acting. a second. Before, before Jeffries goes, just listen to the question, right? You've had three members censured this year so far. Instead of saying, can you do a better job reining in your people? Can you do a better job ensuring that members of Congress um, uh, have the right level of decorum? No, the question was, uh, should we make it harder to bring these, <laughs> these censure votes? right? These privileged votes, should we make it more difficult? The media is absolutely insane. Even the questions they ask. So let's take that from the top one more time. The House
4: is set to censure one of your members for the third time this year. Is it time to change the
5: rules on privileged resolutions? Uh, extreme MAGA Republicans continue to Utilize tactic.
1: Now, now hold on a second. He, he says, is it time to revamp the, the, the way you're doing these privileged votes? And his answer, extreme MAGA Republicans, extreme MAGA Republicans. How do you take somebody seriously? Now, imagine if they asked me anything, right? What do you think about whatever? I can ask questions on this program all the time. I'm not even in Congress. I try to answer the question. Now, yes, sometimes the answer includes because the radical left, but I still answer the question. This guy... It just throws it in there. Extreme MAGA Republicans, as if this is should you revamp the way you hold privilege votes? No, no, no. Extreme MAGA Republicans. Go ahead.
5: Such as censoring Democratic members of Congress, burying their heads in the sand with respect to uh, unlawful or unacceptable conduct by their own members, including but not limited to Marjorie Taylor Greene and uh, engaging in efforts to. Uh, irresponsibly and illegitimately target President Joe Biden and his family. Why are extreme MAGA Republicans wasting so much time on these efforts to target Democratic members of Congress, target President Biden, target President Biden's family members? It's because the extreme MAGA Republicans have nothing to show for their narrow fading and decreasing majority. Nothing to show the American
1: people. Again, um, Jeffries, this is very weak, very, very weak. The extreme MAGA Republicans have nothing to show. I mean, if he's the one that's calling them extreme MAGA, right? So if he's saying MAGA, obviously that's make America great again. That's the, the slogan for the Trump campaign. I would say, excuse me, Mr. Jeffries. Um, Do do you not realize that Trump is ahead in every single poll and he doesn't even show up to debates? Does he have something to show? I think he's got plenty to show. Did Trump have uh, multiple wars and a potential third uh, on the forefront when he was president? No, we had peace. We had the Abraham Accords. We had inflation at 1.25 or 1.4%. Trump has lots to show. The extreme MAGA Republicans, I think, are doing a great job. What is it that you have to show? More mutilated teenagers, more men and women's sports, more congressmen that are illegally <laughs> pulling fire alarms. I mean come on this is this is weak and it's laughable anyway uh, I'm coming right back. don't go anywhere. I'm rich Valdez.
3: This
0: is America at night with rich Valdez. Call now 4 valdez that's eight three three. 833-4VALDES. That's Valdez with an S.
2: By the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations, Anthony. It's always nice to check. I like to see, even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing. Are people listening, right? That's right. you're you're doing great.
0: America at night with Rich Valdez. Hey, do you think there is any Democrat who could defeat Donald Trump other than you?
1: Probably fifty of them.
3: You do believe
1: that there are? I'm not the only one to beat him, but I will. All right, that's President Joe Biden being asked by a reporter saying, do you think you're the only Democrat that can beat Donald Trump? Now, again, I would pause right there and say, what reporter asks such a question, right? Think of when it was Trump, when Trump was the incumbent. Did anybody ever ask Trump? Do you think there's any other Republicans that could beat Joe Biden? No, this is not a normal question to ask. I don't care how curious you are, especially our media is incredibly incurious. But why would they ask such a question? To me, it sounds like it's a planted question. It sounds like we want this to be out there. And when he says, I could take a 50 of them, yeah, this is part of the deal, right? Part of the deal to say, look, I'm only running. He said that two days ago or the day before last. He said, I'm only running So because Trump is running. Meaning if Trump wasn't running, I'd be hanging out in Rehoboth Beach. So if Biden says now that 50 Democrats can beat Trump, What's the story there? Uh, to me, it seems like he's uh, planning an alternative and not because there's a massive uh, plan that everybody's trying. No, no, no. This is called the Democrats are telling him, Joe, you got to go. You got to go or we're going to put you in jail. <laughs> you got to go. Or we're going to tie you to Hunter. Or we're putting everybody in jail. Trust me, we'll do it. And that's now we've got nine indictments against Hunter. And I believe this is all political chess game from those inside the Democrat Party. They're saying, look, you're the incumbent. You have a good shot, but you don't have it anymore. You're just way too weak. You can't hold a commanding lead over anything. And it's not working out. We've, we've got to do better if we're going to be able to maintain the White House. Otherwise, you're a sitting duck. And no, no, I got hairy legs. You don't understand. You ain't black. Right. And he just comes up with his crazy things. And um, you combine that with the lowest rated debate in history. Uh, without Trump, these debates, nobody watches them. Look at 4 million watching the debate. That's a big deal, right? That's less viewers than we have listeners on this program. On a on a regular day. Not good. Not good for the debates. Not good for Biden. Let's go to the phones on this. Jeff in Nevada City, California, KNCO. Jeff, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
7: Hello, Rich. Hey, this is the second, third time I've called. Look, Welcome I'm back. I'm throwing a heads up out there to all the American people. I believe they're going to try to throw Michelle Obama up there. And I yeah. just pray that people are not duped and fooled and deceived once again. You
1: well, know, you know, Jeff, I, I, I don't know. I, I can tell you, I think if Michelle Obama were to run for president, I think she would fare really, really well. Um, the, the bigger issue is I just don't think Michelle Obama is going to run for president. These are people that, you know, they came up in politics. They were making money. They were uh, they had modest means, uh, even if even though she was like upper middle class growing up or whatever. But th- these people are hundred millionaires now. Uh, I don't know that they want to go back into government. I think they want the power. They want to have that Soros kind of position where they go, hey, you know, my senator friend, hey, my media friend, and, you know, you're a former president. You have all the all the clout you need. You don't need to be back in the White House, right? I mean, uh, for most intent and for most purpose, Obama has a, a, an incredible stronghold in the Biden White House. So there's no need to actually go there and put in all that grind that you need in order to win a campaign for president. To me, it makes uh, all the sense in the world for them to stay on the outside. Now, it becomes more sensible to make that move if you have a guy like Biden that's looking like he's gonna destroy the chance for your party to have any power. So then you have to figure out, all right, well, if if I don't do this full time, how do I stay in the shadows and still get somebody elected? Well, that is the big question. And I don't know if that's going to happen, but I think it's a Democrat's dream come true to uh, throw Michelle Obama in there. I just don't think it happens. Um, We'll see how it goes. And uh, I appreciate the call. And hopefully you'll call back again uh, if it does happen and you can remind me about tonight. Thanks for the call, my brother. Big shout out to KNCO California. Folks are coming right back with the rest of your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is
0: America at Night
1: All right, America, welcome back. We continue with your calls. Let's go to Roseburg, Oregon, KQEN. Check in with Raymond. Raymond, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Quickly.
4: Hey, how you doing? Um, I just was wondering, I want to ask you a question Um, with regards to the the comment that Joe Biden made that 50 Democrats could beat Donald Trump. Um, If you were in Joe Biden's shoes, what would your answer be when the reporter asked you that? C- curious enough that they ask him I understand but but since he was asked the question did he
1: have said i'm the only democrat that could beat him or what would you Well have i think i think as a, any good politician would have done he would have said something like well you know th- speculation is useless right now. I am the nominee. I'm the Democrat that the party's chosen to take on Donald Trump. And I'm going to clean the floor with this guy. I'm going to take him behind the bleachers and show him a thing or two, right? He could have had a chance to really shine there, but instead he takes in, Oh, there's 50 of us. (laughs) It was just incredibly weak. And it really signals that it had nothing to do with him or his campaign that to me, he's really sending the message. I'm checking out. I'm checking out soon. There's a lot of guys. Trust me anybody but Trump, you're gonna be fine. And, and that's what I got out of it. Thanks for the call, brother, I appreciate it. Big shout out to Roseburg, Oregon. Let's go to Steven. He's in Enterprise, Alabama, WDBT. Go right ahead.
7: Yeah, I was wondering if you were aware of his neck or Biden's last, latest gas slash lie, where he said he was so good in high school sports that he had a choice between lacrosse and football Yet he was immediately fact-checked, and the high school that he went to did not even offer lacrosse or have lacrosse until 1993.
1: Well, again, this is another one of those things where Biden gets caught lying all the time. Again, I think this was his ninth campaign for president, and the the very first one or the second one that he ran, uh, he had to suspend because he got caught plagiarizing. Biden has been a serial liar He's on record being a serial liar. Sam Donaldson from ABC News caught him out. There's file footage of it out there uh, where he said, I've got I graduated at the top of my class. I graduated on an academic scholarship and I got three degrees. And it was all lies. I mean, he just rattled it off with such confidence. And he was so eloquent in doing it when he was a younger man. But all of it was fake. Fake phony fraud. So ultimately, I think the same thing when he says, you know, we've got lacrosse. And we didn't have lacrosse until yesterday. It's another one of Joel Baboso's babosadas. And uh, lamentably, people buy this stuff because I think there's an underlying uh, opinion, and it's not an incorrect one, that politicians lie. And most people don't hold politicians accountable for lying. I think, you know, there's two extremes, right? There's people that think, ah, come on, they're all liars anyway. And then there's people that think that because they're corrupt, that they're somehow going to get jailed and put in Guantanamo Bay and they're going to be given the death penalty and a military tribunal and all sorts of craziness. None of that's happening either. Political corruption is as old as the day is long. And very rarely do we see people go to jail. By and large, most get away with it. We've just got to do a better job as people. And if we can, restore integrity to our society. Stephen, thank you for the call from Enterprise, Alabama, WDBT. I'm Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. More discussion straight ahead. Hour number two, don't go anywhere.
8: Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring.
1: Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the second hour of the program. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free to give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. And uh, earlier we talked about uh, nine new um, charges against Hunter Biden and a new uh, indictment that came out of California we're going to get into that with uh, former federal prosecutor tomorrow. Um, we're going to break it down, so don't miss that. Uh, also, we've got, uh, let's see, what else do we have here in the news today? There's a lot of news out there today. Uh, the uh, debates were very, very lo- uh, low ratings. Uh, barely 4 million people watching that final debate there. And a uh, bunch of other stories I want to get to. But there was something that really caught my eye in the Daily Signal. And the group of bipartisan senators has been um, talking about how they're going to take on big tech CEOs. And this is obviously a big concern for a lot of people. And parents really became, I guess, attuned to what's going on when they had a chance to see what their kids were doing when they were home for school during COVID. And now people are more uh, interested in what's happening with um, the schoolwork and social media and their children's online habits. So there's been a lot of harm, right? There's been lawsuits brought, in, I think, by 42 attorneys general uh, against um, Meta, uh, Facebook, Instagram. And, and there's been a, a, a slew of lawsuits against social media because they say it's just not good for people. There's um, certain harms that are posed towards children. It's very documented. You had little girls that were developing eating disorders and whatnot and Lots of things are happening. So this bipartisan group of senators is about to uh, take on big tech CEOs. And uh, they're hoping to do this uh, by January 31st of 2024, having them publicly address their failures to protect kids online. And what they're suggesting are age restrictions on what they say are deliberately addictive products that target children. And obviously, this should be a no brainer. uh, But this is happening across various um, levels of government. And uh, I think it's something we should have a discussion on because, you know, some are saying, look, there are warnings on nicotine. There are warnings on rated R movies, but there's no warnings on the dangers posed by social media. And that's something I'm willing to discuss. I don't know if I need the government telling them what to do or what not to do. I think it's always a parent's job, but it's, it's uh, worth the conversation. And to do that, I want to bring in uh, Wes Hodges. He's an advisor at the Heritage Foundation, he leads their um, campaign for big tech. Wes Hodges, welcome to the program.
6: Rich, it's an honor to be here. Thanks so much for having me on.
1: Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Uh, and I want to talk about different ways that children can be protected online that actually pass constitutional muster because. Uh, I don't want to create a police state. I don't want to violate free speech. I don't want people's rights to be violated. But, of course, we all want children to be safe. What's your take on this?
6: Absolutely, Rich. And like you said, there's so much good news out there for parents and policymakers coming to bat to take seriously protecting children online. So like you said, as conservatives, we care a tremendous amount that whatever we ask the government to do, it needs to be constitutional, it needs to be controllable, it needs to be of the people. So we uh, we had an op-ed this week, the one you're referencing, talking about age verification, which is a very popular uh, form of legislation, regulation that is uh, coming across the states, being talked about um, in many states, many states have already passed it, as well as being introduced in the Congress. So like you mentioned, uh in just a few weeks we're gonna have a bipartisan group of senators uh publicly addressing these big tech CEOs to talk about harm to children and the addictive practices that their apps have inculcated. Um age verification uh technology, uh legislation, uh these sort of mandates There's a way to thread this needle there that we're seeing experimented in state legislature um, that can pass constitutional muster um, and be a strong barrier to protect children from some of the worst things you'll find online. Um, This is a sort of um, policy prescription that um, is one, like I said, um, has a very strong constitutional defense, but also has so many positive externalities to it. Um, You'll find that uh, one of them would be that uh, there's a way of doing this that protects data. Um, It's a very holistic practice. Um, And uh, you'll find that it enhances parental control, which is one of the factors that matters most to us. So happy to get more into this discussion, more into this details. Um, Very excited about this topic.
1: Wes, I want to ask you, um, for those that are listening, I think there's, you know, it's an eclectic audience, and um, I think some people are thinking, what are some of these dangers? Like, you know, if it's that dangerous, don't let your kids use it. Uh, Easier said than done for some parents, probably just as easy as said um, for others. What are some of the dangers that are posed from your perspective?
6: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I am a very young parent. I, I have a five-month-old sleeping, you know, just the room over. So, thankfully, uh, not too much threat right now from social media harms, although he does love to to grab the phone when it's out. <laughs> uh, but if you, if you look, if you look at some of the data, some of the research that's coming out, now that we've had a good number of years of social media and kids involved with it, uh, just the evidence is uh, irrefutable. Um, you know, take for uh, <laughs> take uh, and take with a grain of salt uh, information coming from the Biden administration, but uh, their Surgeon General came out in May talking about uh, real issues coming from uh, prolonged exposure of social media on children. And, you know, just referencing that, um, their data shows that. Uh, you know, adolescents that spend more than three hours per day on social media face double the risk of experiencing poor mental health outcomes. And that, that includes depression, anxiety, poor sleep, uh, bad self-image, um, and, you know, violent tendencies. Um, and, you know, that's probably putting it softly. And tethered to that is our survey showing that on average, teenagers spend at least three and a half hours a day on social media. And you know, going through COVID, uh, this is a 2021 survey. Going through COVID, I would expect those numbers to get even worse with that kind of isolation. So the the data is 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 real. The the research is coming out. Um, I would also direct you to kind of the industry revealing this problem themselves. So, um, you know, one example uh, that our op-ed alludes to is YouTube CEO referencing the need uh, to get serious about providing parents more tools and more guardrails um, to help their students to help their kids. Um, so to, to quote them, parents can't do it, actually YouTube cannot do it alone. Uh, it takes policymakers, families, researchers, companies, and experts coming together uh, to provide support, consistent standards for companies. Um, so All that being said, when the companies themselves that are inculcating some of these bad outcomes are, you know, telling the truth here and saying there's a problem, uh, it's a very obvious problem.
1: Yeah, it seems that way. Um, And, again, it seems that way because, again, I find it somewhat duplicitous, right? I feel like YouTube, uh, Instagram, Facebook, they do everything they can to make a a very, very – um, usable product, right? Uh, Some will say it's addictive. Uh, if I were the owner of Facebook or Instagram, I'd say I want it to be as addictive as possible. Just like I want you to be addicted to ice cream, pizza, soda, you name it. Uh, because that's the business I'm in. None of these things are a charity they're They're all big businesses. Uh, but with that being said, uh, you know, from the business owner's perspective, I would think I don't want the government putting a warning label on, on my social media app. That's kind of like saying, you know, People like to binge watch television and, you know, this could be addictive and we're going to have to put a warning label on on television. Now, I know that there's a difference between the two, but I would imagine this is an argument that's coming from the social media companies. Uh, Wes, uh, what are some of the um, uh, I guess um, how are they refuting it and how are they pushing back?
6: Well, let me make sure I get your question right. How how are the social medias refuting and pushing back on, on these
1: complaints? Yeah, I, or I, I guess I should say, are they, right? I know YouTube's saying, okay, that we should add some more guardrails. I, I view that kind of as the, the big tobacco companies um, saying, you know, paying for the ads that say smoking's addictive, don't smoke, right? But it's a small fraction of their budget that goes to the anti-smoking campaigns. Uh, and a huge amount of what they do is, you know, making more cigarettes. So I think YouTube is in the same boat. So is Facebook and Instagram uh, saying, you know, look, look, uh, yeah, parents, we're going to put, you know, these parental controls in. We want your kids to be safe, yada, yada, yada. Uh, They say one thing, but they do another. And we found recently that they were very lax in going after um, child porn and and other like uh, human trafficking websites, people that were selling all sorts of things through the Instagram accounts. And uh, Instagram was like, yeah, we could have done a better job. But they didn't do anything to really stop it. So I feel like it's, you know, once the the toothpaste is out of the tube, then they say, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to do better on this. And it seems like it's lip service to me, Wes.
6: Rich, I think you have good instincts there. Uh, Big Tech has been given almost every opportunity, more than a decade, to self-regulate, to take its products and use them in a way that is beneficial, that actually helps you live a better life, that is formative um, as children get onto their apps, and we just haven't seen evidence of that. Instead, like you say, we've seen them use it to just earlier and earlier addict our children onto um, into you know their their advertising scheme. You name it. Um, there, there's an old Greek myth about. Um, you know, what happens when you get everything that you want? It's, it's usually not the best outcome. So I think one of the things you were referring to in, in, in your statement there was this recent Wall Street Journal report talking yes. about how they – yes, yeah. They, so the study they did for months um, investigating uh, Instagram, setting up their own spoof accounts, simulating just like normal people – And finding out that if they were to, say, for example, follow something innocuous like gymnastics or like, you know, children, gymnastics, Instagram would start sending those accounts, sexualized content with children and start advertising sexualized content, which is clearly against their terms. Now, this isn't the first time that Instagram has been confronted by this, you know, over the summer in June, well, uh, the Wall Street Journal had a similar uh, expose on on this, and seemingly <laughs> after that expose, uh, like you said, Instagram said, oh, we're taking this very seriously and we're going to make the reforms we need to to make this to assure our advertisers that there's no foul play here, that this is a safe place for children, and this last, the, the study over the last several months have shown that isn't happening any soon. So like you said, talk is talk. Uh, let's look at the actions, and we haven't seen it happen voluntarily. Therefore, now we're looking at the states, like this op-ed that we're referring to, uh, about actions taken by the government to be able to set the appropriate guardrails Um, that pass constitutional muster, that have conservative bona fides to them um, to to help align their incentives uh, to something that is good for children, or at least not harming children. Um, Wes Hodges, uh, hang
1: on on, for one second. I want to take a quick pause right here and come right back to hear exactly what we can do that uh, is constitutional and appropriate and works to protect kids while not infringing on anybody else's rights. Folks, we're on with uh, Wesley Hodges. He's advisor for coalitions at the Heritage Foundation and is the lead for their big tech campaign. We're coming right back. Don't go anywhere.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at night with Rich Valdez.
1: So we're talking about age restrictions on deliberately addictive products and that target children. And most people think it should be a no-brainer. Uh, but it's not the case yet. Social media companies have been uh, called to the carpet a number of times. There's even been whistleblowers from these social media companies testifying before Congress and they always say they're going to do better. They're going to do better, but nobody's really holding their feet to the fire. Well, uh, our guest is here to explain exactly what can be done within the confines of our constitution so that nobody's rights are trampled. Wes Hodges is the advisor for coalitions at the heritage foundation and uh, the lead for their big tech campaign. Wes Hodges, help us understand the constitutionality of what you guys are putting forward in this op-ed you've written.
6: Absolutely. Well, I will answer that, but I do want to say, to your comment of this being a no-brainer issue, uh, recent polling by the American Principles Project uh, showed that 83% of people would strongly or somewhat favor legislation that requires websites with pornographic content um, uh, to implement an age verification system or face penalties. Um, That uh, obviously a, a related subject, um, there's similar polling showing um, how, sorry, how favorable uh, age verification is for mm-hmm. dealing with online addiction. So when we address the constitutionality of this, um, you'll, you'll see in the handful of states that have passed these sorts of laws that there's mixed results. Uh, if we were to hone in on Arkansas, um, which you know, we're, we're tremendously uh, grateful for their effort to take seriously this issue and to put something forward and uh, pass something as the state. One of the issues they have run into is they did they have a number of holes, carve outs, in their bill that allows for uh, social media companies, uh, some of them to, to just pass by the bill. And, and when you don't do a holistic approach where it covers everyone, um, you run into First Amendment issues where you say this is allowed but eh, you know we're not going to regulate you but we're going to regulate you um that uh raises all sorts of concerns and is difficult to muster in the courts so the 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 op-ed that we we penned this week uh, my colleague karen grand joel uh wrote together uh talks about uh doing age verification on the app store level so when you ask you know, where do we regulate uh, on this sort of thing, there are three right. main layers to accessing online content. You know, the app, you know, Facebook, the App Store, you know, the Apple App Store, and the device, your iPhone, your computer, you name it. So the op-ed focuses in on the App Store as a seemingly –
1: Oh, like a neutral party, right? To put the age verification. That makes a lot of sense, actually. And the music means exactly. we got to go. But, Wes, uh, let everybody know how they could find you and follow you and keep up to speed with what you're doing.
6: Absolutely. Everyone, I refer you to Heritage Web, Heritage's website, heritage.org. You'll find our content on uh, holding big tech accountable there. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: Perfect. You bet. Welcome. I appreciate it. Folks, go to heritage.org. We're coming right back, continuing the conversation. Wes, thanks again. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, America, welcome back. We've got some great stuff in store for you. But before we jump into that, I just wanted to quickly send a shout out to Christopher Ruddy, the CEO of Newsmax TV. They uh, recently launched Newsmax 2, a um, a, a regular channel. Now they've changed their existing channel to a premium cable channel. Um, And... um, Newsmax Plus, and that seems to be going extraordinarily well for them. And they just had their Christmas party at the United Nations of all places, nice place, the delegates' dining room. And uh, I had the opportunity to go; had a great time. The DJ was terrific, the food and fare was fantastic, and lots of amazing hosts there. Uh, everybody that you see on TV was there. It was a really really good time. And I just wanted to say thanks for the hospitality. I bumped into my good friend Bobby. Bobby was there. We enjoyed ourselves. Uh, it was great. It really was a good time. Big shout out to Lydia Sarani, uh, my old um, studio mate from uh, WABC back in the days. And uh, just a lot of wonderful people. Uh, too many for me to list, but many of our guests that you've heard on this program were there. And uh, I just wanted to make sure I was on the record saying hello, goodbye, and thank you for that. And um, I also want a quick tidbit. I'll get to it a little bit more uh, a little bit later. Uh, but Every now and again during the commercials, I like to check the um, social media, right? Because we're always uh, eliciting feedback. And uh, there's always a good amount of feedback on here. Uh, But yesterday, for those of you that listen to the program regularly, I was uh, mentioning how the Girl Scouts were making the case that um, whites are oppressive, right? That white people are oppressive towards people. And I was saying uh, I happen to be uh, what they call a person of color, right? and uh, i've never felt oppressed by any white person in this country and i just thought that was interesting and i thought i spent a good amount of time in my monologue explaining how uh, i think it's a a farcical idea but somebody somewhere that goes by at psycoach number 2 the truth hurts on twitter this person thinks that um i i think otherwise and he says Rich Valdez, because whites are so oppressive every day, thousands of black and brown AWS people like you come to this country, I guess, to be oppressed. Two words go back. Cuba is waiting for you. Ungrateful bastard, assimilate or leave. So, to this love note, I say thank you, Mr. Truth Hurts. <laughs> Number one, you got the point all wrong. Number two, I don't think whites are oppressive. I don't think there we have a, an oppressor, oppressor uh, victim type of uh, society. I think that's a Marxist idea. Um, I don't know anything about blacks coming here uh, every day, but I guess there are a, a lot of uh, folks from northern Africa that are coming by way of the southern border. So that's probably true. And I don't think they're coming here to be oppressed. Uh, now, go back. I don't know where to go back. I was born in Brooklyn, New York. My parents are born on the island of Puerto Rico, sir. Not Cuba, where we are Americans of Puerto Rican descent, Uh, but uh, ungrateful. I don't think I've ever come across as ungrateful, uh, A, for the opportunity to be on this program, which he insulted. He said that this uh, 10 o'clock slot is not a coveted one. I'd say this is the largest 10 p.m. show uh, um, across the country. So uh, get your story right, sir. Anyway, assimilator leave. I think I'm as assimilated as apple pie. I was born in Brooklyn. But anyway... It just goes to show you, no matter how hard you try to make a point and to be uh, clear in in what you're saying, there's always a clown out there that is going to try and, uh, you know, push your buttons and it's going to misunderstand you. And this happens all the time. These types of misunderstandings happen everywhere. And I want to talk about those things, right? Because there is uh, an article that was sent in the Washington Post that says that some people – uh, are misunderstanding why they feel so tired after they do Zoom calls. And apparently there's something called Zoom fatigue, right? Or people who are on Microsoft Teams or FaceTime, any type of video call. And it leaves them drained and they feel like they just can't anymore. And I know that feeling because I don't like video calls for whatever reason. They don't, um, they don't enlighten me. They, they drain me. Meanwhile, in real life, if you put me in a room with people, voila, here we go. So, uh, I want to get into that. I want to get into a couple of other things because we've got an amazing guest, Lee Richardson. She's a licensed professional counselor, she's a therapist, and founder of the Brain Performance Center. That's out of Texas. She's also the author of Turn Your Brain On and Get Your Game On How, the How, What, and Why to Peak Performance. And uh, we're going to get into that as well. She's with us for three segments. So we're going to discuss the Zoom stuff. We're going to discuss the book. And we're going to discuss brain injuries. Because I happen to know a thing or three about a traumatic brain injuries as I was a caregiver to my dad who had one. And it was one of the most amazing educations I'd ever received. Um, it's just fascinating, like, how intricate brain injuries are and how they manifest in different people. So um, without further ado, let's welcome Lee Richardson to the program. Lee, welcome.
8: Would. thank you so
1: much for having me at this fine hour uh, thank you Lee. I appreciate that uh, It's very kind of you to say and uh, i'm 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 looking at this article the uh in the uh Washington post, and it's talking about zoom fatigue and this is something that i've I've felt but oftentimes uh and I've shared with this with the audience multiple times, but I'll share it with you, and I'm sure you'll understand it um people that are uh, in the neurodivergent camp like me i have a d h d uh, I tend to feel things times 10, period, <laughs> everything, whatever it is. So I, I, I realize that it could be a me thing when I'm on a Zoom call and I'm halfway through and I'm fidgeting and I'm dying to get off. But then when it's over, it's like, whoo, I'm tired. And I think to myself, why is that? Well, probably the ADHD. But this was kind of uh, uh, enlightening that it wasn't just me. I might feel it more than others. But this definitely, definitely is something that many people are feeling. Tell us about it.
8: Well, it is, and you know, it was so interesting to me that during COVID, when we were going through this, Microsoft decided they couldn't figure out why all their employees were just so beat. They were just beat after all these Zoom meetings. So they decided to do their own little study and they did what I do. You put the little cap on the head and you record, I record 20 minutes of data and then you go in and you analyze the brain waves, and what they found, they so they did two sessions of this. They did round number one, and they and it was a very small study. I think they had like eight participants, and they man those guys went back to back Zoom meetings and did everything they normally do. Different subjects, you know, you gotta you gotta flip from one subject to another. You gotta transition, and what they found was it was amazing that when they let people take a break between the meetings and they gave that brain just a little bit of time to reset, that it really reduced that cumulative build because there's a buildup of stress. You know, as you go from, I'm sure you know, as you go from one live interview to another, you don't have a break. And even yeah. those short breaks are So important. They make that transition from one meeting to another so much smoother. And what they found with those, you know, when you go back into that next meeting,
1: you're in a much more relaxed state. Right. And and it makes a lot of sense to me. I I do this for a living. Right. So I, I, you know, I'm kind of it's like, you know, I don't want to sound like a football player, but those guys are used to taking a beating on on the gridiron. And I'm used to, you know, broadcasting for multiple hours. But most people aren't. And 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 I really when I first started in radio. I remembered, you know, them saying, we need more energy. And I was like, more energy? I'm exhausted. And it was like the second segment, you know, 10 or 12 minutes in. And it it does, you'd have to develop some sort of stamina for that. So uh, I totally get it when somebody who's not used to being on a call and being, quote, unquote, on for 40 minutes, half hour, an hour, or doing back-to-back meetings or an eight-hour day like that, uh, it's got to be exhausting for people. So they find this data and they say, okay, we figured it out. It's our product that while it's revolutionary and saving the day for so many people to be able to work through video calls, uh, what did they do? What was the, um, I guess the, uh, proposed remedy?
8: Well, you know, the study that, that was done in Australia, they looked at the impact and they looked at 35 subjects. And what they found was, you know, these back to back meetings, they decrease your ability to engage and focus because we're all good. You know, think about a meeting that you have in a conference room. You're not going eyeball to eyeball with these people and they're not on these one-inch screens. And (laughs) it's that, you know, it's that constant eye direct contact that really does, it's exhausting. It's that direct eye gaze because typically when you're in a a meeting and a conference room with ten you've you've got time to play on your phone, make your notes, do whatever you want to do, but not you know this virtual interaction it's hard on the brain,
1: yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I want to continue with that as well as learn a little bit more about your book, Turn your Brain on to Get your game on by uh, Lee Richardson. She's our guest, and we're coming right back with her. If you have any questions, you want to ask her a question, she's going to be with us for a little bit. 833-482-5337. 833-4VALDEZ.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4VALDEZ. That's 833 482 5337-833-4VALDES. That's Valdez with an S.
3: America at night with rich Valdez.
1: All right, America. Welcome back amigos. We continue our conversation with Lee Richardson. She's the author of turn your brain on to get your game on the how, what, why two on peak performance. And she's a licensed professional counselor and the founder of the brain performance center. And Lee, as we were talking about how people get fatigued from Zoom, and uh, there's so many things out there that people just don't understand about the brain, and that's your, your specialty, obviously. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about this book, right, Turning Your Brain On to Get Your Game On. Uh, what was the premise in that, and what was the impetus for writing the book?
8: Well, you know, the the first thing that happens at the Brain Performance Center in Dallas is you do a consultation with Lee Richardson and to see if I'm going to tell you that I can help you with your challenges, I got to believe that. And I noticed, every, you know, somebody comes in for a consultation and I'm like, wow, you know, I hear some depression. And all of a sudden, oh, no, 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 no. And the eyes hit the floor. There's no depression. Oh, okay. You know, Mm -hmm. and and I want to say, hey, man, it's okay to not be okay. Because we all are in that spot at some time. Or I'll say, wow, you know, I hear some anxiety. And I see those shoulders come up to those earlobes, like, you know, earrings. Oh, no, I'm not anxious. (laughs) And I just... It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay if you don't do anything about it. And that's why I wrote the book, just to educate and say, because, you know, we when you hear the words depression and anxiety, we used to think, oh, mental health, you know, retardation, mental health, there's so much bad stigma. It's not about mental health. This is my story, and I'm sticking to it. It's about brain health. The brain is an organ just like the heart. If you think there's something wrong with your heart, how many days does it take you to call up a cardiologist? One or two? If you get up in the morning and you think, man, I just can't do it. I can't go to work today. You know, my team knows I get anxious. They're going to be giving me that stink eye. They're going to be wondering if I'm going to be able to perform. Or I'm just so, I'm so tired. I can't get up and drag myself to work. Because once you, if you do that and you get there, nobody ever says, hey, you know what? Thanks for showing up today. I know that was a lot of work. And, and it is a lot of work. I mean, whether you have, if you have ADHD, if you're on the autistic spectrum, you got a neurodivergent brain. I intend to play that, that theory out to include anxiety and depression. I've looked at thousands of brains. You map them. A dysregulated brain can manifest in ADHD and autism and anxiety and depression and OCD. Addiction is a brain disease. It's all about what's going on in your brain. And the purpose of that book was, to, you know, we talk about lifestyle choices. And let me tell you something. That's a hard one, man. You want to change my lifestyle choices? Mm, that, that's, that's a hard one. But we've got to be aware of we're in control of what's going on in our brain. Our brain controls everything we do, we don't do, or how well we do it. Right, and Lee Richardson,
1: love. I want to pull that thread a little bit more about uh, lifestyle choices and how the brain plays a role. We're going to take a quick pause. you are coming right back with uh, Lee Richardson. She's a licensed professional counselor. She's a therapist and the founder of the Brain Performance Center uh, in Dallas, Texas, and uh, the author of the book, Turn Your Brain On to Get Your Game On, don't go anywhere coming right back
0: this is america at night with rich valdez call now 833-4valdez that's 833-482-5337 833-4valdez that's valdez with an s America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, America, welcome back, amigos. We're on with Lee Richardson, and she's uh, telling us about her book, and she was mentioning about how lifestyle choices are, you know, they come from the brain, and uh, there are certain brain diseases and fascinating topics. And something that I thought of was there I, from what I've read and other um, psychologists, therapists, and uh, doctors I've spoken with on this program, that there's a lot of, the brain's pretty powerful, right? And, and you have the ability to choose many things, including subconscious things that you can eventually change, like, uh, you know, people that have certain behaviors, like you're mentioning, like uh, anxiety and whatnot. A lot of that stuff tracks back to childhood issues, right? Or what what um, the um, father of psychology, Jung, would, would discuss as the... Um, the inner child. And what's your take on the lifestyle choices that the brain plays out with uh, things like attachment, you know, the different attachment styles and whatnot? Is that directly connected, Lee?
8: Well, you know, it's, it's so interesting because I look at the brain on two levels. You have the conscious level where you're very much aware of what you're thinking, and then you have the subconscious level where you're really not aware. And that's where trauma lives. And that's where all, there's a lot that that resides there. And until you calm the brain down, you can't let it go. And it's, once you, once you can calm that brain down on a subconscious level, and this is a true fact, every minute your brain can take in 11 million bits of data. Research wow. says between 24, or I'm sorry, between 40, and 126 you can hold on a conscious level. I think it's 40, but we don't have to do the math. Where right. does it all go? It goes to that subconscious. And that is where the brain can be so in- incredibly powerful. Everything you do, you don't do, how well you do it. Right. It's all about how that brain's wiring and firing.
1: Wiring and firing. Lee Richardson, I want you to let everybody know how they can keep up to speed with the work that you're doing. If they want to learn more about the Brain Performance Center or your book, where do they go?
8: Well, you can find us online. We've got that old-fashioned website, the Brain Performance Center, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, Lee E. Richardson. Thanks so much for having me with you tonight.
1: Oh, you bet. I hope you'll come back. There's so much to discuss. You're so knowledgeable. Thank you, Lee Richardson. Folks, we're coming right back. Uh, With your calls and more with Open Phone America, don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to our number three of the program, our telephone number. If you want to join us, the phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And, of course, this hour is known as Open Phone America, where you guys get to weigh in on any topic that's on your mind. Of course, the topics that we've discussed tonight whether it was uh, the brain that we talked about earlier or we um, also talked about the importance of uh, protecting kids uh, th- from the evil, addictive Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and all of the other social media out there, big tech. And, and of course, we talked about a number of topics at the, at the top of the hour uh, in the first hour. Uh, regarding uh, President Trump and uh, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, and Hunter's in a in a in a world of hurt right now, and I wanna I wanna get into that a little bit. I also wanna uh, get into a little Trump because Trump was in court today as well, and he um, he had some comments, but his attorney Alina Haba, uh, she prefaced uh, some of his statements with statements of her own. Listen to this.
0: He still wants to take the stand, even though my advice is at this point, you should never take the stand with a gag order, but he is so firmly against what is happening in this court and so firmly for the old America that we know, not this America.
1: Now, the latest appeal uh, from President Trump might be something that ends up in the Supreme Court, uh, and that's according to some analysis in the Washington Post, Uh, and this is regarding... Um, his his request for immunity um, regarding the January 6th. I think one lower court said uh, absolutely not, uh, but I think the rationale exists there that he was sitting president. And, you know, uh, there's this thing called qualified immunity that everybody else in Washington has. Uh, I don't see why the the commander-in-chief wouldn't have it. It um, just makes all the sense in the world that he would. Uh, but... Trump uh, made some comments, and I played them earlier, but I want to play them again in case you, you're just t- uh, tuning into the program. Excuse me. And uh, listen to this.
2: All cases of fraud. What they've done is they've weaponized justice, and this is coming from the White House because uh, I'm beating Biden by a lot, and this is coming right out of the
1: Trump is talking about being on the campaign trail instead of being uh, tied up in court, having to spend his resources um, in defense of himself rather than spending money to promote his presidential campaign. And, of course, he I think he's got a solid point there. Uh, The bigger point is that on the other case, the January 6th case that I was talking about, um, you know, he filed his notice that he's going to appeal a current ruling from a D.C. judge that says that he has no immunity from being charged with federal crimes uh, because of what he, um, in his efforts to try and um, correct the record, right? In 2020, he felt the election was improper, and he tried to correct the record. And somehow this has now turned into a RICO case in Georgia. And uh, you've got uh, a number of cases in in various jurisdictions. And this particular uh, judge in the District of Columbia says no, You're not immune. However, um, he's making his case and the motion is probably one of of the most uh, potentially consequential parts of his defense, um, according to to the piece in The Washington uh, Post, is that he's saying that they're going to need the Supreme Court to handle this appeal uh, because it's going to have a huge impact on whether Trump, who's running again for president, goes on trial before voters go to the polls in 2024 or ever. And it's a solid point. I think another point is that he legitimately was president. And uh, I think it's a solid defense. He's not making anything up. He was president. He was dissatisfied with the election. He said, I think this election was crooked. I want it looked at. You, uh, Brad Raffensberger or whatever the guy's name is, I want you to go and find me the votes that were missing. And he did this, and they're saying that's a crime. Now, I don't see it being a crime, uh, especially when you're a candidate in the race. And they're saying that he's not immune from prosecution because of the fact that he was president. Or or even uh, Mark Meadows, who made some phone calls on behalf saying, hey, look, what's going on? We're trying to figure out what's happening. Let's make this thing work. Um, they're saying that this is coercion. And, and I guess, look, one man's coercion is another man's um, conversation. But the reality is we have to come up with a... A, a place, right? We have to land on something somewhere so that we realize what is what. Uh, are we going to forever say that something is coercion? I mean, when you have these slippery slopes, it gets very sloppy. Very, very sloppy. So that's what's happening with uh, Trump on the legal front. Uh, let me see. There was one more I think from this that I wanted to share with you because the, which one was it? Georgia. Anyway. As it comes, I'll bring it up. Uh, but we're gonna d- discuss that. I also wanted to get into uh, a few other things tonight. There's uh, obviously Hunter Biden, I'm gonna get to that next. And there was, there was another one. Well, don't worry, you stick around and I'll tell you what it is coming up in a moment. Uh, if you wanna join the conversation, the phone lines are available for you. 833-482-5337. I'm gonna get the calls in the next segment. 833-4-Valdez.
0: And he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: So the United States Coast Guard has found nine tons of cocaine on one of those uh, submarine kind of vessels off the coast of California. Nine tons of cocaine. Now, this is not necessarily a segue into Hunter Biden, but I'll take it. Uh, because Hunter Biden was indicted in California today on nine charges related to tax. Uh, the, all of them stem around his failure to pay uh, $200,000 in tax back in 2019. Now, you've got the special counsel, David Weiss. He's been using a federal grand jury in Los Angeles to gather evidence of possible criminal tax charges against Hunter Biden. And this is uh, it's a big deal because. I mean, it's a big deal because his name is getting dragged through the mud Uh, and it's not a good look for for Joe Biden when you've got Republicans every five minutes saying uh, the Biden crime family, Biden's corrupt, Biden's this and Biden's that. And then all of a sudden, you know, Biden's inside man is now uh, bringing more nine more indictments against uh, or one more indictment with nine counts uh, against Hunter Biden for more tax fraud. So, um, again, this is probably still, the fix is still in. He's not going to see the inside of a jail cell. Nothing's really going to happen. But it it doesn't help in a campaign year. I mean, if anything, it might. uh, Joe Biden, Joe El Baboso Biden, may try to play this and say, well, you see, my my son, uh, he's the smartest guy I know, but um, he's been indicted. That's his problem. We're, We're holding everybody accountable, whether it's Donald Trump or Hunter Biden we ran a fair administration, right? He may, he may try to use that to his benefit. I just don't know that it works entirely uh, because, you know, they're looking for, for 100 years or 400 years uh, on Trump. And, you know, what they're doing to Hunter Biden is, is uh, minuscule. And he actually didn't pay his taxes. What did Trump do? Borrowed money from a bank, paid it back. Bank said he paid it back really well. And after the statute of limitations, the the state decides, um, we're going to come after you. Well, you're doing that because you, on your campaign, you said you were coming after me. No, I didn't. Then he plays the videos, and they, okay, and they they pretend it didn't happen. I mean, it's just it's just laughable the things that are happening, but it's not funny because it could happen to any one of us. Anyway, that's the story on uh, Hunter Biden with uh, respect to that. Plus, his uh, ex business uh, partner is now slamming his latest claim that. Uh, these business dealings. The uh, I'll give you the complete quote, right? Hunter's ex-business associate blasts Biden's new claim about his son's business dealings saying complete malarkey. Uh, Then-President Biden met with several of Hunter's business associates during the Obama administration, and a former associate of Hunter Biden's is pushing back against President Biden after he angrily claimed that that was a bunch of lies and that he interacted with his son's foreign business associates. So how about that, right? How about them apples? So there's uh, plenty going on on that front. And I say all of that to say it's, it's an interesting place that Hunter Biden has landed in. And I don't know what ultimately happens with Hunter Biden in this case. I don't think much uh, eventually happens with him. But that is... To me, uh, it's, it's going to be a black eye, a black cloud on Biden's campaign. And ultimately, it might be what Republicans decide to use. Um, and it is the route they're going, right? They're using Hunter as the, the, uh, the layup to, 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 to dunk on Biden here. And Republicans today unveiled the resolution to authorize a Biden impeachment inquiry. Multiple House leaders said the chamber was expected to vote on the resolution next week. And Republicans are confident they have the votes to approve the measure. And this is a significant move forward. Um, because they, uh, and the um, I just said um, I had a critic earlier saying I, I have too many ums. You're probably right. I probably do have too many ums. But now I'm going to have a few more just for you. <laughs> um, The resolution was introduced by Representative Kelly Armstrong from uh, North Dakota, and formalizing this would uh, would eventually go to the Judiciary Committee and ways it means, and they'll continue from there in uh, with regard to the probe into the entire Biden family. Uh, other House leaders have said the chamber's expected to vote on the resolution next week, scheduled to go before the House uh, Rules Committee Tuesday morning. And don't forget, Hunter Biden's been invited to testify, and he's um, kind of just said no thanks not interested not doing it <laughs> he doesn't want to do it he says he'll do it publicly but he doesn't want to do a closed door deposition uh because he feels they're going to leak the information and he's right they're going to they're going to get recordings of him um under oath and they're going to get him just like they got bill clinton and that's why he's saying no and he wants to, to do it publicly and I'm, I'm presuming he probably wants to do it publicly and not under oath so we'll see how that that turns out but that's what republicans are doing Let's uh, get your reactions to this stuff right here. Let's see. What do we got here? All right. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Gainesville, Georgia. Wilmington, Delaware. Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Who else we got here? Who's talking about? I just wanted to make sure I'm on the right track here. Uh, Let's go to Doc Wilmington, Delaware. Since we're talking about Hunter, go right ahead. Hunter,
7: and President President Trump. uh, uh, My esteemed friend, uh, Rich Valdez. You, Rich, I want to run two things past you, and I want to get your opinion on my opinion. I think this whole thing on both sides of the aisle is a question of timing. Number one, can the Republicans do enough damage to get enough goods on Hunter Biden to impact the election before the election? Okay, or, or, or is it all going to be kept under wraps? Number two, does the Supreme Court throw everything out, as Professor Alan Dershowitz has said, and I agree, will the Supreme Court throw everything out before the election, during the election, or as the election is going on? So both sides and both sides, I see it as a question, major, major, major way of timing. I want your thoughts, sir.
1: Yeah, I I don't have a crystal ball. I do agree. I think if this gets to the Supreme Court, uh, John Roberts is an expert at trying to split the baby. But even if he tried to split the baby one way or another, like maybe punting or something like that, we don't want to take this one, but we'll take that one. We'll decide on this. I think ultimately there isn't a lot of wiggle room for him. He's going to have to take something and say, this is bogus, uh, and we're not doing it. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he doesn't want to be that guy, and he's going to say, look, we can't, I can't be that guy. I can't be the, the, the judge or the justice, chief justice, that says we're not doing it, and uh, you know we're not going to have accountability for people that bring crimes. Uh, maybe he will, but he just strikes me as a, he didn't do it in 2020. I doubt he's going to do it now. I, I figure he's going to come up with something, some way, somehow, to uh, kind of get around that. But we're going to see. Uh, I don't think that they have much more room. You know, we're not in the throes of a pandemic anymore. People are paying attention. Uh, if you are listening to the show in the 10 o'clock hour, there are people in New York City that are extremely dissatisfied with Biden that are like, bring back Trump. Uh, I think when you have that type of uh, uh, momentum, and again, presuming that the momentum today on December 8th is the same as it's going to be in, in uh, 11 months from now, in the 2024 election then it's a good situation for Trump the question is does that remain so i think there's a lot of variables um with respect to that now doc something that i wanted to share with you uh was the anniversary of delaware uh, ratifying the constitution that's today in addition to uh yes, sir. the um, the anniversary of of uh, pearl harbor so congratulations to you and everybody in, uh, uh, in WDEL country for being uh, great Patriots, Doc. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Great questions as usual. And uh, we're gonna continue with your calls and more straight ahead. Like I said, we've got calls from Idaho, Chicago, Gainesville, Georgia, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, Champaign, Illinois, and we're going to uh, get to those momentarily. Of course, I wanna remind you, if you missed any of the interviews that we did on the show today, yesterday, last week, last year, you can go straight to richvaldesamericaatnight.com. Richvaldesamericaatnight.com. And you can um, download the show, you can stream the show. You could even subscribe to the podcast for free, where you could listen on your podcast and get a notification whenever there's a brand new episode, which is either my short commentary, This is America with Rich Valdez. Or the podcast of this radio show, which is again absolutely free. Rich Valdez, America Check out the website and subscribe. Folks, we're coming right back with the rest of your calls. Don't go anywhere.
0: That's 833-482-5337. 833-4VALDES. That's VALDES with an S.
8: Shots were fired outside the temple in the parking area. There were no injuries or fatalities. The suspect is a 28-year-old local resident who is walking around outside the synagogue acting very suspicious. According to witnesses, he fired off a round from his shotgun while making threatening statements. Any act of anti-Semitism is unacceptable and undermining the public safety at our synagogue. The first night of Hanukkah is even more deplorable.
1: So this 28-year-old man, uh, not identified by anything other than 28-year-old man as far as I can see, Uh, He fires uh, two rounds from a shotgun outside of Temple Israel on the first night of Hanukkah, and he shouts, free Palestine during the incident, according to the police and uh, a person that was briefed on the matter. Now, nobody was hurt in the shooting. It took place just before 2 o'clock this afternoon on the grounds of the synagogue. The man was taken into custody shortly after the incident and was being interviewed uh, as early as this evening uh, by members of a counterterrorism task force in Albany. The um, Temple Israel staff noticed the armed man outside the building on New Scotland Avenue and uh, placed the facility in lockdown. That lockdown included an early childhood center at the synagogue that was filled with children. Uh, Albany Police Chief Eric Hawkins said that shell casings were found on the staircase leading to the front uh, entrance of the synagogue. When uh, police were called about the shots being fired, it was initially conveyed as a potential incident at Key Bank. Which is across the street. Uh, they later learned it was not, so um, you know, they got their wires crossed there a little bit. Uh, the uh, police in Albany did take the man into custody about a block away from the scene of where it all happened. And um, again, uh, passers-by witnesses say that he shouted, "Free Palestine." So um, I'm very curious to see who this person was being that they're not describing who the shooter was and that they were, you know, shouting free Palestine. Uh, it doesn't seem like a, like a radical Trumper to me, but, I'm, you know, you never know, right? Give it a couple of days in the media and they'll say, this guy had social media posts where he, he absolutely uh, loved Trump. <laughs> right? Ultimately, everybody's, uh, all the bad people are, are Trump people, conservatives, Republicans, Christians. Um, and as of lately, white, right? White, straight and white. Uh, anyway. Uh, that's the story on that. As there's more information, I'll keep you up to speed on it. Uh, we got a really full call board. So we're going to go, uh, straight to the calls right now and, uh, bang these out. Let's see, where do we go from here? Let's, uh, let's go to Rich in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, KDKA. Go right ahead.
9: Hey, Mr. Valdez. How are you? I hope you're Wonderful, good. Help. Thank you. And uh, I do want to recognize um, shout out to all the veterans out there. Yesterday was Pearl Harbor Day. It yeah. was 82 years. We must not forget, you know, that was the uh, worst attack on U.S. Uh, you know, on um, U.S. soil before 911. Right. Uh, the yeah. other thing as I got is, uh, by the way, today is the 8th, and Hanukkah does begin today. I, I listened to that uh, news bit, and today is also. The forty-third anniversary of John Lennon outside the Dakota.
1: Look at that! And Busy couple yeah, of was, days. I went down Rich. there.
9: I, I went. I I did go down there. Um, and uh, I was going to go this year, but uh, I'm not going to go. But but anyway, um, I just wanted to say uh, that also. My dad was uh, uh, at in Hawaii before before wow. it became a state. And shout out to all the veterans, because without these veterans, uh, uh, you wouldn't be able to exist. There would be no freedom of speech.
1: We'd Amen to that, Rich. China. You're 100% right. Without veterans, we, um, we're, we're, we're dead in the water. Thank uh, your dad for his service. Thanks to the service of everybody that served. And um, and it was one of the first things we did opening the program tonight was play a clip of um, FDR announcing the attack and, uh, of course, acknowledging the um, 82nd anniversary of Pearl Harbor. And thank you for acknowledging that yet again. It's, uh, it's you know, like I said earlier, it's, it's solemn, but uh, it's something that we have to do. And always a big shout out to everybody in uniform and everybody who served and those who aren't here. And uh, we continue. Let us go. Let's see, where are we going now? Let's go to Diane in Chicago, listening on WGN. Go right ahead, Diane. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
10: Hi, Rich. Um- I was I was uh, trying to consider what to to talk about. Um, as you know, right, it's like you know eleven thirty right yeah, here. Yeah, sure. What's on your mind? Don't know what you were talking about before, you know, because I can't follow your show until right. one a.m. Go right ahead. You, you you get the idea. Okay. Well, I was talking to um, producer Tom about um, topics. I was wondering about Twitter, which is X. And what you, um, if you've ever had a situation where you consider, where you had uh, somebody on your show, I remember Jim Bohannon had a person named Jack Lombardi, and he was um, somebody who seemed to know all about, you know, navigating Twitter. It's sort of an odd thing for a person who doesn't have a computer, which I don't, but I use the library and you know I have a Yahoo mm-hmm. and all of that, and I have a Gmail that corresponds, but I'm anonymous on both right. Twitter or X, and and yet. Um, I'm pretty diligent, and I've been doing, you know, tweeting my little...
1: Right. What was your question about Twitter, Diane?
10: 2017. Um, have you ever heard of shadow banning?
1: Sure, yeah, I can tell you a little bit about that. So uh, I spent a little bit of time working for an organization uh, called Project Veritas, led then by James O'Keefe. And um, that term, I think, was relatively unknown to everybody. And when Project Veritas did uh, an investigation into into why... How how that works. Uh, It was revealed by them, by their very own employees on hidden camera when uh, they thought they were meeting with like women after work at a bar and they were bragging and they were saying how like, yeah, he's crazy. The radical right wingers. these you know, I'm paraphrasing, but it's on video. You could find it on YouTube. And they were literally bragging about how people would think that they're tweeting to their big followings. And in fact, you know, only a handful of the people would see the tweet. The rest of them would not see it. And it it was not a forthright ban where they would tell you, hey, you're banned. It was a shadow ban where you think that you're communicating, but you're really throttled and you're reaching a lot less people. And this this was something they did to conservatives ever since the time of the Tea Party. And who knows, probably before that. um, Very, very, um, very popular. It still happens now. Uh, Many of them do it all the social media do it um, and they tell you, right? You might post something and they'll say, okay, you're going to be throttled. You're, you're going to have less reach. Uh, and, and they just tell you. And then if you don't like it, you can appeal it. But yeah, that's something that happens quite a lot. We had a Facebook whistleblower on the program a while back. I don't remember her name, but we should probably bring her back. And she was very informative and she was explaining how they did similar at, at Facebook. And What I've seen is that many of these social media platforms do that, and we learned from the Twitter files when Elon Musk purchased Twitter that it went beyond that to actually colluding with the government or the government colluding with these uh, social media companies in order to stop certain information from going out. So, uh, yeah, very good point and very good question because that is something that does genuinely happen, and that is what gave rise to Parler and truth social and so many other uh, alternatives that embrace free speech uh, rumble for example which is an excellent alternative to youtube and voila here we are today uh with more options so i think we need to continue having those options and we need to continue holding these people to account diane thank you for your call i appreciate it um, big shout out to everybody in wgn country and of course we're coming right back with the rest of your calls and more don't go anywhere this
0: is america Night with Rich Valdez, America at Night with Rich Valdez. To the point of needing Congress to act what senate republicans are pushing for really right now is very similar to hr2 which passed the house the secure the border act and just to name a couple of things in it you know restart construction on the border wall increase the number of border patrol agents limit asylum narrow the president's parole powers why is that unpalatable to the administration
7: I would say two things. One, we've presented um, uh, proposals uh, that address the situation, that provide real practical solutions and also uh, do not do violence to our fundamental values.
1: All right. That's Alejandro Mayorkas, the um, soon to be hopefully impeached um, Homeland Security Secretary. He says that we've got to do this, we've got to do that, bad, 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 bad. I don't believe a word this guy says. He's never done anything. They've n- done nothing but make something uh, worse and worse and worse and put lots of human lives in peril every single day. Let's go to Jim, Chicago, uh, WGN. Jim, go right ahead.
9: Hey, Rich. Hi. I have
7: uh, two comments about doors, D-O-R-S, doors doors.
6: I don't know how many people, but how many people do you know would leave their doors open before they go on Christmas vacation? Right, and nobody. That's just an analogy. Well, right, right. That's an analogy for what um, Capitol Hill, hopefully they could come to an agreement
9: before uh, they, for the border crisis. And the other thing about doors is Jamal Bowman not even using the doors he was trying to get out. <laughs> intent.
1: Yeah, that's funny. I think you're right. And listen, uh, you you make a lot of uh, sense there. Congress wants to, in effect, uh, it's almost like they want to file an insurance claim, right? That's the only way I would see somebody saying, yeah, look, let's go on vacation. Leave the car running in the driveway. Leave the back door and the front door open. Hopefully when we come back, we've got nothing. We could file a big claim and then we could move on. It it seems like fraud. And that's exactly what these guys uh, seem like the guys in Congress that are just not willing to take on the problem. And, and again, it's not a problem. It's a, it's a full-blown crisis. You know, the U.N., uh, I was at the U.N. today, interestingly. Uh, the U.N. says that this is the most dangerous border crossing in America, I mean, in the world. People are dying like crazy. You've got rape, drugs, kidnapping, human smuggling. All of this is happening at our border and and Biden in Mallorca just we're doing everything we can and we're we're just great and we're do, I mean, it's unbelievable to me it really is that we have this and these these uh looks like platoons of men from all over the world coming in that you know claim that they're coming here to work but it looks like they're coming here to you know I don't know set up shop like a military unit you know once that was brought to my attention I I I blew it off a couple of times but now these aren't uh again little guys, puny guys. These are guys that are in shape that are coming here. And it doesn't, it looks like a soccer team that's coming in. You know, it's just crazy to see what we're seeing. Jim, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, let us continue. Where do I want to go here? I want to go to California, Ventura, California, KVTA, amazing station. Love California. Uh, Archie, what's up? You're on with Rich Valdez.
7: Hey, Rich, I'll make it quick. I love a man with, uh, without a Z in his name that can still say, stay elite, uh, alert and awake uh, and do what you do. <laughs> I wanted to say about the Donald, I have, <clears throat> I have something that might cheer him up a little bit. As What's he tries that? to untie that Gregorian knot of uh, uh, judicial injustice, I would yeah. like to see a sign or a T-shirt that said, X-Dim for the Donald, and underneath would be a railroad track and uh, a little railroad train car engine or whatever, and the uh, circle backslide, meaning no railroading. <laughs>
1: right. that's, that's interesting. I, I didn't get it the first time. But I, I like the uh, the slogan, ex-dem for Donald. I think that's a pretty good one. And I think we're going to see a lot of that. Uh, I don't know if you heard the audio I played earlier uh, from Newsmax TV, but they, these, these uh, man-on-the-street interviews that they did were just, uh, to me, amazing that there are so many people in the Bronx. And by the left standards, uh, for descriptive purposes, I'll say these were black and brown people. And, you know, uh, African-American Hispanics that were saying, no way, it's costing us way more money to live. We had more money under Trump. It just is not a good look. So, uh, Archie, I love the idea. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody in Ventura, California, KVTA. Uh, We're going to continue with the rest of your calls straight ahead. But before we do, let's go to Orlando in Gainesville, Georgia, WDN. Go right ahead.
7: Hey Rich, this is my first time calling. Uh, Welcome. I to you, um, uh, and I've listened to you for the last couple of weeks, but um, I just wanted to weigh in uh, uh, on the young lady that that you had on your show last night. I, I kind of got lost. I thought she was on a different show, but um, the A H G. Oh Ashley it was, Hayek. It was about the Girl Scout cookies, and I'm gonna tell you. Oh okay. Patty cookies, Garibay. But. Right, but the thing is, I, I I don't like how things are set up. Knowledge is power, and I'm glad to know that uh, as long as you and I, because I am a man of color myself, as long as we're funding those cookies, uh, we're funding the wrong side of the, the world. And uh, it, it's just not right. That's not right at all. So
1: yeah, I just I wanted hear you. to
7: say that, and uh, I love you guys' show, and uh, Merry Christmas to you guys.
1: Well, Orlando, thank you. Those are kind words. I appreciate it. You call anytime you want. Uh, big shout out to, to you and your family and everybody in uh, Gainesville, Georgia, WDUN. Happy Christmas. God bless. Folks, we're coming back to the rest of your calls and more. Don't move a muscle.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: With Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's the speed round. Let's go very quickly to Brad in Champaign, Illinois. W S O Y. Brad, go right ahead.
9: Hi, Rich. Yeah,
7: I know I don't have much time. Uh, so, concerning Hunter Biden, some people might have forgotten, but his lawyers, you know, tried to get a sweetheart deal with, and fell through with the judge, and the judge wasn't having none of it. So she sent it back to DOJ. DOJ got handed a hot potato and they decided to make lemonade out of lemons. I'll tell you how uh, they're
6: using him as a scapegoat because they could say now, oh, it's not a two tiered justice system. See, we're going right. after Trump. We're going after Biden just as much as Trump. But right. That's not the case. You and I both know he'll never do it. Hot
1: second in jail. You're right. He won't see the inside of a jail cell. They're just doing this, I think, to exactly do that, to say, hey, look, we're going after Hunter, we're going after Trump, we're going after everybody. This is the fairest administration in history. Brad, I think you're on to something. Let us continue. Let's go to Joe, Salem, Arkansas, KSAR. Go right ahead.
7: Yeah, uh, Rich. uh I agree with the other fellow that I'm glad you can stay up for the three hours. I'm a first-time dozer, and I hate when that happens. But anyway, uh, what I was wondering is what do you think about a pardon for Hunter, if you haven't already covered that, Uh, how long do you think that'll take?
1: So here's the thing. Um, Joe says he's never going to issue a pardon for Hunter Biden. I don't think he will either, and I'll tell you why. I don't think he's ever going to get convicted. I think Hunter, um, even if he gets a conviction, like, uh, the, the slap on the wrist that he's going to get is ultimately going to be a fine. So they are gonna say, Oh, you didn't pay your $200,000 in taxes. Well, we're going to fine you a million bucks and you better not do it again. And if you do it again in the next 10 years, boy, you're going to have to pay another fine. You know, I don't think any stiff penalty is coming his way. I think this is again for show to tie him up in indictments, to say, look, we went after this guy. We went after this guy. It's all theater, in my opinion. I don't think anything really sticks. Joe in Salem, Arkansas. Big shout-out to KSAR. Let us go now to um, Zanesville, Ohio, WHIZ. Check in with Paul. What's up, my brother? Quickly.
7: Hey, good evening. Hey, you know uh when i hear my orchestras i hear is blah 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 now i was in the grocery store the other day and i had four or five guys that brought up like a cart and a half of food and um i'm watching them because i'm in the self checkout they're right behind me they're not speaking english so i'm kind of keep my eye on them a little bit and the guy the one guy he pulls out what's called an ebt card okay i've seen him before i worked in the dry food for 3 months when i need a little uh, extra uh, christmas money about 3 or 4 years ago and they use that and that just looked kind of fishy to me. And that's just one of those things that makes you go, hmm. And if anybody thinks it's not coming to your hometown, you better beware because it is.
1: Yeah, you know what? Here's the story with that. I think you're right. Uh, I think two things are happening here. One, these guys might have come through the southern border. And if that's the case, they're giving them all sorts of freebies there. They want to hook them onto the welfare state. And that's number one. Number two is they're trying to expand the welfare state everywhere through... Through, uh, Like, you know, it used to be that if you were very destitute, you could go to college for free. Now they're trying to expand that with uh, student loan forgiveness, trying to make all sorts of things. They've tried to expand Medicaid. They've tried to expand um, EBT, food stamps, SNAP, all of these programs. To, to make it even easier for people that have income to get them because they want us dependent on the state. It's a Marxist move, and we shouldn't tolerate it. Big shout-out to Frank in Evergreen, Paul in Boise, and everybody else out there. Hasta la próxima. Take care, good night, and God bless America. I'm Rich Valdez, and God willing, we're doing it again tomorrow.